Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Have you ever looked around and wondered to yourself, why has everyone seemingly looked like they've found love except for me? I know for myself, I am single, that is my choice. But the good news is you're not the only one that has done that and looked around and and seemingly thought that everyone else has found love except for yourself. Great relationships don't just appear in our lives. They are a culmination of hard work, a series of big decisions and small decisions, including whom we should date, how to end it with the wrong kind of person, and when to commit to the right one. How do you even know that they're the right one? All these big and massive questions when it comes down to choosing the right person, because it is a choice ultimately, But our brains often get in the way of us choosing the right kind of partner, don't we? Making, overthinking things and analyzing certain aspects. I know I have struggled with this in the past and I'm trying to do a lot better at it today. We make poor decisions which thwart us on our quest to finding lasting love. And then the big question is, how do we know that we have love And how do we know that it's going to last forever? Well, my guest today is none other than Logan Urie. Now, for those of you that don't know who this incredible woman is, she's going to help us all unpack how to never or not die alone. Uh, She has a brilliant book by that very same title, The Surprising Science That Will Help You Find Love. And drawing on years of research, behavioral scientist turned dating coach, Logan Urie reveals the hidden forces that cause those exact mistakes that I was talking about just a moment ago, but awareness on its own doesn't lead to results. You actually have to change your behavior, your mindset towards it. And during my conversation with Logan today, she's going to show you how to do just that. We we uncover a lot of things in this conversation that I think is going to help many of you that are possibly struggling with relationships at the moment or you are looking for the one, all those things. I don't really have many people on the story box that talk about relationships. I should do more about those. But um, I think this one is a thrilling and honestly an informative conversation for each and every one of us. Doesn't matter what stage of life you are at. If you do want to get a copy of Logan's book, that will be available in the show notes below. I hope that you guys, if you want to learn more about the the deep science and deep research, then do get a copy of, of Logan's book. I've been reading it. It is fantastic. Kid you not, go and get a copy of it. 
Um, but if you do also get something from this conversation, I greatly appreciate it if you guys could share it around to all your friends and family, let everyone know about this one. And also, my friends, I want to let you know before I we don't journey into the story box today, my very first book is going to also become a audio book, which is very, very exciting. Uh, I don't know who's going to be narrating it yet. Hopefully, it's me. Hopefully, you get to put up with my voice for hours on end. I'm just teasing there. Uh, or it might be someone else. You never know. But nonetheless, I think if, if I was to narrate it, it'd be an absolute hoot and be a lot of fun too. Also very time consuming. And But I do it for you guys. I'm not complaining. Anyway, my friends, uh, just if you do want to get a copy of uh, the actual hardcover at the moment, you can pre-order a copy right now. The link will be in the show notes below for you guys. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to learn how to not die alone as we journey into the story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Logan Yuri. Yay, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Like I said to you just a moment ago, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, relationships are something that I need to talk more about with people on, on the show. I mean, I, I, send, I, I seem to have more and more people uh, and I kind of avoid the conversation. Oh, wow. Uh, but I would love to steer more and more to it because these days as we are, world's changing so much uh, and I personally, I don't want to die alone. <laughs> so I, I'm curious about modern romance, love, relationships, you name it. But my very first question for you, this is a question that I love asking all my guests at the very start, but I want to change it a little bit and see see where we go with this one. What does a successful relationship look like? Great. All right. Starting off with the hard hitter. What does a successful relationship look like? To me, the foundation of a successful relationship is something where the the total is greater than the sum of the individual parts. And so it's like, when I am with you and we are in our relationship, I am my best self, you are your best self, and we are creating something great together. And so we are a team and we are in partnership and we are really designing the life that we love. In terms of some of the foundational skills, it's really about trust, having that foundation of trust, really believing the other person, assuming the best about them, feeling like they will be there for you when you need them. So much of it is about communication. A lot of times people wonder, oh, you know, we're fighting and this is a problem and I want to be in a relationship where we get along all the time. No, that's that's not possible. We know from research that many couples have problems. And in fact, 69% of problems are perpetual. They're not going to be solved. And so it's much more about compromise and how you handle those conflicts and how you communicate. And it's really about feeling like there is a person in your life who wants the best for you, who helps you be your best self, and where you are really co-creating this relationship of your dreams. So it's healthy in a sense to argue and fight. Absolutely. Yes. It's funny. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I'm dating this guy and things are going great. And we never fight. I'm like, never fight. That sounds suspicious to me. Are you not being upfront about what's going on for you? And to me, it implies that these people are maybe um, being too polite and not being real. And instead, it's not about avoiding conflict. It's about finding somebody with whom you can fight well. What does that mean, fighting well? Fighting well, yes. So there are two people in the world of relationship science named John and Julie Gottman, and they are basically a power couple. You might be familiar with their research, and they've done some really incredible research into fighting. And so they are the people who came up with that stat, 69% of problems are perpetual. And part of what they talk about with healthy fighting is being willing to see the other person's side, being willing to take influence from the person, but also understanding that maybe the problem won't be solved. And so a popular example is if I like to get to the airport hours in advance and you believe that you should be getting into the airport basically as the plane is taking off, we might never be able to convince each other that the other, that our view is correct. And so instead of trying to make uh me, a late person and you, an early person, 
we could just say in our relationship, we go to the airport separately. And so it's basically seeing the situation, understanding that we might have differences and then learning to live with them. And there's a couple other things I can say about conflict. One of them is that sometimes people experience flooding which is this feeling of feeling really overwhelmed. And it's basically going into fight or flight mode. And at that point, you can no longer really listen to the other person. You're just feeling your own emotions and you're feeling like you need to survive. And so you could say to somebody, hey, I need to take a time out because I'm flooding and let's get back to talking, ideally within the next 24 hours. Another thing is these repair things. So one thing that my husband does super well is sometimes we fight, sometimes we yell at each other, but he'll pretty quickly come back to me and make a joke or give me a hug or, you know, make me laugh, touch me, et cetera. And it's basically saying like, yes, we just fought, but we're a team and it's like bringing the back together. And so it's really not about avoiding conflict. It's about finding, finding somebody who you can be honest with, who you can navigate differences with, and then really come back together and say, you know, that was a tense moment, but of course we're on the same team. So it's about finding compromise, understanding that compromise. But I guess my other question in that is when we are fighting with our partner and we do say something that is extremely hurtful, what do we do with that firstly? And secondly, how long should we wait in order to resolve that tension that is no doubt going to be there? Yeah, look, sometimes people say things in relationships and fights that they regret. One of the biggest things that you want to avoid is threatening to leave. That's a hard thing to recover from. And so saying something like, if you don't change, I'm out of here or just leaving without an explanation, that's what can really corrode this foundation of trust because once somebody has basically put on the table, I might abandon you or I might leave you really ups the ante in a negative way and makes it hard to continue having that conversation. And so there are certain topics that I would avoid, um, especially this idea of when you're fighting, threatening to leave. The Gottmans have this idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are four things that when they're present in a relationship are a really bad sign. And they basically go in order of severity. And so one of them is defensiveness. So when I say something to you that's going on or that I feel you say that that's not happening. Another one is um, criticism. So the Gottmans talk about these four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this is basically when these things are present in a relationship, it's a really big problem. And so the first one is criticism. So um, saying bad things about your partner, telling them all the ways that they're disappointing you, it really comes from a place of there's something wrong with you. You're the problem. The second level is contempt. And this is things like rolling your eyes or attacking them as a person. It's basically a more intense version of criticism. The third one is defensiveness. And this is often a response to contempt. And this is uh, when you feel attacked, basically not being open to feedback and feeling like there's nothing wrong with you. And then the fourth one, which is the most intense, is stonewalling. And this is if you've ever been in a fight and the person just stops responding, it's basically like a wall went up and it's like, I can no longer be in this conversation with you and I am not going to be responsive. And so when these things are present, that is a really bad sign for the relationship. And there are things that people can work on to help avoid having the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And one of them is that idea that when you feel flooded, when you feel like you're going into flight or fight or flight mode, you actually pause and take a breath. And that goes back to what you were asking, which is how long should you wait before you talk? And the general wisdom is you should wait enough time that you are in a more conscious place where you're not just in fight or flight mode, but you don't want to wait too long. And so they say between 15 minutes to around 24 hours, but you probably don't want to wait longer than one day to finish the conversation. I think one of the things that I struggled with in my past relationship was the fact that I pretty much would do two things, stonewall when I got too crazy, and second is I would just sometimes leave. Um, like there'd be no point in continuing this yeah. conversation. And that, yeah, that did affect the trust levels, the relationship as a whole, because, yeah, she wasn't happy <laughs> if I did that or, or try to do it. But then again, like I didn't know any better. I thought that I was mm -hmm. the right thing. I thought that just giving her some time and some space 
away from me because I was more than likely the one that caused the problem. I think I just escalated it even more. Uh, and I think in, in my mind as well, there's sort of a sense of fear in actually trying to resolve this conflict uh, as, as part of it. But I guess leading into my other question is, is asking, is it still okay if you've got conflict and you're going to sleep in the same bed, is it still okay to go to bed without resolving that kind of conflict? Yeah, that's funny. I love this category of basically busting myths around relationships or going through what we would call old wives tales and saying what is or isn't true. And you can often find conflicting ones. So there's one that's like your partner should complete you. And then there's another one that's like you need to be a complete person before you can find love or opposites attract or birds of a feather flock together. And so you could basically find opposites for all of these. And so there is the kind of thing that people say it in wedding speeches. And my advice to you is never go to bed angry. Well, I can tell you that I am an extreme morning person. I feel the best from whenever I wake up until around 12 or 1 PM. And after that, I just continuously crash moving forward. And so if I were to get in a fight with my husband at dinner, after dinner, I may not be in the best headspace to make up with him. And I might actually say, I don't want to keep talking. I need a break. And in the morning when we're, when we're fresh, we'll have this conversation again. And so I can't tell you scientific evidence on that, but I would say personally, as a morning person, sometimes if you get in a fight, you just need to sleep on it, wake up and feel like a better version of yourself. And if you keep talking, you're just going to continuously dig yourself into that hole. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, with you on that one. I'm a morning person. Don't even bother <laughs> with me in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it's afternoon for you right now. So hopefully. Oh, not. that's okay. I'm doing great. <laughs> but that's a good thing. Uh, I wanted to, before we dive even further into more relationship advice and, and things like that, I wanted to ask you why behavioral science in the first place? Why did you decide to go down that road and then turn into a modern dating coach? I guess you could call it. Yeah. So I've always had these two interests, this interest in psychology, decision-making, how the brain works. And then I've had this other interest, sex, dating, love, and relationships. And so at different points in my life, I've pursued them. And so, for example, in college, I studied psychology, but I also wrote a paper on the pornography habits of Harvard undergrads. And oh. so I was constantly thinking about, you know, how people make decisions and what's going on in people's psychology. But then I'm really interested in dating and relationships. And I've tried to find a way to combine the two. For behavioral science, for people who aren't familiar with it, is the study of how people make decisions. And it's basically saying we are not rational. If we were rational, then we would say, I want to lose weight. I'll just start eating vegetables all the time. But that's not what happens. We say that and then we fill up our plates at the buffet as if it's the last time we'll ever eat. Or we say, I want to save money for retirement, but then we get an email with a sale at our favorite store and suddenly we you know, spend tons of money there. And so we often act against our own best interest. Why do we do that? We do that because we have these cognitive biases that get in the way of making great decisions. And so behavioral science is really investigating what are those common cognitive biases? And if you understand them, how can you design systems that help you overcome them? And I purposely said systems because it's not just more information means that you can change your decisions. It's actually our decisions are impacted by our environment. And how do we shift our environment to get the result we want? And so it's not saying, hey, vegetables are better for you than candy eat vegetables. It's saying at the buffet, I'm going to organize it so that the vegetables and the salads come first and that the dessert comes at the end once your plate is already full. And so really thinking about environment. In terms of dating and relationships, I think it's the most fascinating thing on earth. I love the idea that you can't take happily ever after for granted. I love that there's a field called relationship science where academics are really studying how do we know who we're attracted to? What matters long-term for a successful relationship? And so really the role that I like to play is to be the translator, taking the best of the academic research and bringing it to a lay audience to say, hey, 
yes, love is natural. Love is organic, but dating is not. And there is research that tells you what matters and what doesn't. And I am going to share that research with you so that you can fix your bad habits, develop better ones and really find your person. How did the paper that you wrote on the porn habits (laughs) of alumni go? Was, was that received well? Yeah, it was so funny. I mean, I remember being a sophomore in college and sending out this email, hey, who wants to talk about their porn watching habits? And it definitely went whatever viral was back in the day, just in terms of my college and talking to students. But it was really fun. It felt like permission to talk about something taboo that I was interested in. And basically the premise, it was... um, you know, pretentious in the way that college students sometimes can be, but it was essentially saying my peers had gone through puberty at the same time that we could say the internet had gone through puberty. So going from people having Playboy magazines to people having static images on the web to people having short clips to people having full on video on demand. And so basically what does the change in porn mean for people who are growing up with it and how does it change their relationship to sex, sexuality, kink, et cetera. So in saying that, have you found that porn is dangerous for relationships Yeah, I would definitely say I'm not a porn expert. I did write this paper undergrad, but, um, you know, it was it was years ago. I think it depends. I would say that um, there's a lot of pros and cons. Obviously, one of the issues is basically the treatment of people in pornography and whether or not they're all there by choice. Um, I definitely have worked with dating coaching clients who are addicted to porn and they find it hard to have sex with real life partners because they are actually so used to their sexuality being, I watch this video on demand. I touch myself. I know exactly what I want. And they actually have a hard time transitioning to having sex with a person and not just with themselves. I also find that sometimes um, it can basically create unrealistic expectations of what sex looks like. And so we're seeing this even more with Gen Z, where if your definition of sex and sexuality is what you saw in porn, you might think that certain acts that are probably super intimate, maybe not a lot of couples do, oh, that's just what sex looks like. And so it's really interesting to think if your version of sex ed is hardcore pornography, how does that impact the way that you show up with the person who you lose your virginity to? Yeah, it's an educational platform. And I've also noticed in in young people uh, with modern relationships and modern dating that they do have this unrealistic expectation. And then when they go and and do the act, they almost feel like this massive disconnect. And they're just like, I'm not, I don't know how to connect with my partner in this way. And then they have this unhealthy fear and unhealthy desires uh, start springing up as a result of that. So I think it it is another issue that we can people need to start looking at with with people that know more about it. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that paper was fascinating and, and how thank you, yeah. Received. Uh, but in staying on the idea of of sex within relationships, before I uh, ask some other questions for you, uh, how often should we be having sex with our partner? This is a good one. So sex is a hard thing to evaluate in terms of academic research, because if you think about what makes a really good science experiment, it's basically something where you can design a controlled experiment. So I would say this many people have sex this often, this many people have sex this often, let's compare them. And that's just a really hard thing to do with something as personal and let's say in many ways, spontaneous as sex. And so we don't have perfect data on this. There is evidence that couples that have sex once a week are happier than those that have sex less often. And it also suggests that couples that have sex more than once a week are not happier than couples that have sex many more times a week. But that being said, I would always question data around sex because people are pretty, first of all, you you can't really measure this in a lab. And also I think it's one of those things where uh, people are likely to exaggerate on this topic. Can relationships still thrive if there is no physical connection in terms of them having sex? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people feel like sex is the barometer of a relationship. 
If we're having good sex, that must mean we have a good relationship and vice versa. The truth is that my philosophy is there are so many different ways to be in a relationship. You can be in a relationship where you do a lot of cuddling and there's a lot of intimacy, but maybe it's not penetration or whatever your version of sex is. And then there are couples that are more like friends, but that's what they're looking for. And so I really believe in a world where the only you know, I don't just believe in monogamy. I don't just believe in you need to be having this much sex to have a great relationship. I think that there are many, many, many ways to be in healthy relationships. And it's really about people saying, what's the menu of things available to me? And how do I choose what feels good to me? Yeah. What are some ways in which I guess compared to say maybe a couple of centuries ago, how people started dating compared to now how is what are some ways that that has changed i guess looking at modern modern love or modern dating today yeah so there's a great book called labor of love that's the history of dating and it's by this wonderful academic named Maura Weigel. And in the book, she talks about how dating as we know it. So the idea of me as an individual finding another individual and basically going through courtship and getting married that actually only started around 1890. Prior to that, your family would be involved. Maybe a matchmaker would be involved. Really, if you look at the history of marriage, marriage was always an institution of economic convenience or my parcel of land was next to yours. So our fathers would coordinate for us to get married so that that land could be combined. Or maybe my father would give your father 12 camels for my hand in marriage. There was a lot that was happening that was beyond love. And the idea of marrying for love is actually pretty new in the span of human history. So we have dating being a new concept. And then we have where we are now, which is online dating and apps. And so online dating really started in around 1995 with Match Group. And the dating apps started in around 2010 with apps like Grindr, the gay dating app, shortly followed by Tinder. And so really, if people listening to this are like, dating is hard, I don't know how to navigate apps, that makes sense. We are going through a crazy change in the way that people are dating and the idea that you have thousands of potential matches at your fingertips. That is a very new way to navigate dating. Yeah. I think there's so many aspects to that we could dive into, but I wanted to ask you, what do you classify as love today? And secondly, how do you know that you are in fact in love? I I, I don't know why I always find this question kind of a stumper. (laughs) Maybe we can skip this one. I don't know why. I I feel like every time I'm asked that, I'm always like, I don't know. It's too hard of a term to define. I think it, I think it is because there's so many like levels to it and so many different people could say, this is love for me, but totally not really is, but yeah. But I guess the other question I did have for you is how does a person know, or more for you, how did you know that, your husband was the one, I guess. Yeah. So my story with my husband is really interesting because we met in college and we know this because we became Facebook friends shortly afterwards. Otherwise, I don't even think we would remember. Then seven years later, we met again at Google. We were both working there. And after that, we had lunch a few times. I said I was looking for a tutor in this certain coding language. He said, oh, I just dropped out of a math PhD where I wrote that language every day. And he started tutoring me. And at the time, I was really chasing after this guy. I had met him at Burning Man. I was crazy about him. And I was in this really... Um, anxious avoidant loop with him. I ended up going to a dating coach, focusing on what mattered and what didn't. And through that realizing, Hey, this guy, Scott at work is pretty great. He has all the qualities I'm looking for. And through that, I was able to turn this great friendship into a great relationship. And so now we've been together for almost seven years And I really love the idea that my husband is someone who had been in my life for a long time. And I was able to take this foundation of friendship and empathy and his amazing sense of humor. And we were able to say, there's something more here. How do you know? Okay. So this is a question that I have because for me and the current state that I'm in at the moment, I don't want to be in a relationship just yet. Like that is my personal choice. But in saying that, 
I don't want to die alone. I do want to be in a relationship at some point. But I guess why is it or how do you know, because there's so many people out there, right, like the, so many fish in the sea, I guess the, the, the term is, how do you know that person is the right one for you? Like is it more than just fuzzy feelings? Yeah. So I talk about this a lot in my book, basically the idea that I definitely don't believe in the one. There are many people who you could write great love stories with many people you could write great life stories with. Right. I think if anyone listening is saying I'm waiting for my soulmate and I'll know it when I see it, that's just not my perspective. I feel like you can make things work with many different people. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making is that they're waiting for the perfect person to come along. And they basically say, everything is about finding the perfect person. And once I locate this person, everything else will be easy. And then when they get into relationship and it inevitably hits this rough spot, they say, must not be my soulmate or else it would be seamless. And I have the opposite view. A lot of relationships is about finding a great person, but then investing into the relationship to make it the relationship of your dreams. In terms of what to look for, there are a few qualities that we know are correlated with long-term relationship success. So some of those are things like kindness, if the person is emotionally stable, if the person is loyal, if you can fight well together, if you can make hard decisions together. And then my favorite one, which is what side of you does this person bring out? And so I have this question in my book called the wardrobe test question. And this is something that I use when I'm doing breakup consulting, where somebody comes to me and says, I'm dating this person for a while. I don't know if I should stay or go. What should I do? And we work through all these questions and it's very, you know, intellectual and this and that. And then I say to them, if your partner were a piece of clothing in your closet, something that you own, what would they be? And give me your gut reaction. And people tell me the craziest stuff. They say, my boyfriend is a wool sweater. He keeps me warm, but it's itchy and I want to take the sweater off. Or my girlfriend is my favorite pair of pants, which I never would have bought myself, but which I really like and I always enjoy wearing. And so because the question's a little weird and abstract, it actually gets people to just get to the core of how they feel about that person. And so you want to have an answer that's, you know, this person makes you feel your best or this person brings out a desired side of you, or this person makes you comfortable. And you certainly want to avoid answers like my boyfriend is a old t-shirt that I would wear to the gym, but hope that nobody would see me in. <laughs> I think the wardrobe thing is cool. <laughs> Thank you. But it's creative. Um, but it kind of, it kind of leads me, you know, how you were talking about there's people create this list and they're looking for a particular dude or woman that has everything in the list. Is that, mm -hmm. is that even possible? Yeah. So I'm really against this idea of checklist dating where you basically say, I know exactly what I want and he has to be over six feet tall and make six figure income. And there's nothing wrong with me. And I just, I'm not happy. And I haven't met the person yet because I just haven't located them. And there's this idea that, you know, exactly what you want. And I really have the opposite perspective looking at the behavioral science work, a big part of that is saying, we think we know what we want and we're wrong. And so often when people have this so-called type, the reason why they're single, the reason why things haven't worked out for them yet is because their type isn't actually who would make them happiest long-term. And so that I recommend people throw out the checklist, stop focusing on people's resume and actually go on dates, get curious, ask questions and say, when I am around this person, how do I feel? And I have this list called the post date eight. And these are eight questions that you ask yourself after a date to tune into what matters. And so these are things like, what side of me did this person bring out? Did I feel energized or de-energized around them? Did they make me laugh? Am I curious about them? And so moving away from the checklist, are they good enough for me? I'm interviewing for the role of wife or husband and moving towards what is our dynamic when we're together? Eight questions. Huh. But yes, I like that. <laughs> do, you, do you agree with the notion that who you end up spending the rest of your life with, like who you end up marrying is the most important decision you ever, ever make? 
Yeah. So in my book, I talk about why it's harder than ever to find your person, why dating feels harder than ever. And one of them is that we put so much pressure on ourselves to find the right person. And so there's quotes from Warren Buffett and Sheryl Sandberg saying, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And I do feel like it's extremely important. This is the person who is your teammate. You are making decisions with them. You are living with them. Whatever side of you they bring out, that's who you're going to be. And if you're going to have kids, then you are creating a family with this person and raising future humans together. And so Not only do we know that the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our health, happiness, and overall life satisfaction, but specifically, if you're going to be in a monogamous marriage, this is your teammate and you better choose carefully. What are some things that sort of stop people from dating another person or even is it more fear that's holding them back of that checklist that we were talking about before? Or is it that vulnerability aspect? What are some things that you've noticed? So working with clients from around the world with different cultures and ages, I found that there are three main things that hold people back from finding love. And I've categorized this into a framework called the three dating tendencies. And really, this is all about unrealistic expectations. And so the first tendency is called the romanticizer. This is the person who loves love. They believe in the soulmate. There's one person out there for them. When I meet them, I'll know it and it'll be easy. And the issue with the romanticizer is that they have unrealistic expectations of relationships and they really expect it to look and feel a certain way. Is it that the second spark sort of thing? Yeah. So I really have found that the spark is a pervasive and dangerous idea in modern dating because people have watched too many rom-coms, too many Disney movies, and they expect to feel love at first sight and they expect to feel fireworks. And what we actually know is that oftentimes that connection grows over time and that sometimes the people that you feel a spark with, it's actually because they make you anxious and they're sending mixed signals and not because they're the right person. Okay. So warm, fuzzy feelings. No, (laughs) it's not that I don't believe in the spark or that the spark is always bad, but when we overly optimize for the spark and say, if I didn't feel the spark on the first date, I'm not going to see you again. That's a problem because some of the best people out there just don't spark on the first date. Yeah, that's true. It could be like many, many months or years later on down the track before they even start seeing or feeling the spark. Sorry, I yeah. With- oh, that's okay. No, no, no. I love talking about it. And I think that's the same idea with my husband where I, I've always been interested in him and liked him a lot as a person, but he's more of the slow burn where it took getting to know him and seeing his sense of humor and how interesting he is that I really developed that feeling of the spark. It's not like the first time I met him, I was like, oh, I immediately need to date this person. Slow burn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I interrupted you from explaining the other. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that was the romanticizer with unrealistic expectations of relationships. And the second one is the maximizer. And the story with them is that they have unrealistic expectations of their partner. And so they think I can just research my way to the right answer. If I just date the next person and the next person, eventually I'm going to find the perfect person. And they really believe it's all about locating this person. And the issue with the maximizer is, as I said before, yes, you want to find someone great, but you want to find someone great and build a relationship with them. You don't just expect that the perfect person will come along and then everything will be easy. Yeah. And the third type is the hesitator. And they have unrealistic expectations of themselves. And so this is the person who says, I'm just not lovable yet. Why would I go on a date? If I met someone great, they would reject me. I need to go to therapy. I need to clean my apartment. I need a more impressive job. And so the hesitator feels like one day I'll be ready and then I'll date. But this is flawed because the only way to get better at dating is by dating. And the only way to figure out who you should be with is by dating different people and seeing what side of you they bring out. Yeah, I think I've learned that I'm more the hesitator. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think that because I tend to analyze a lot of things. And but yeah, I think I've I've had I've had to work through that. But you're right, getting out there, dating, <laughs> just I think yeah. that helps a lot. So with the time that we have left, Logan, I did want to ask you some things of, 
re regarding how do you know that you, you could be in a relationship with someone for a number of years and things aren't really going too well. I guess you've lost the mojo sort of thing. How do you know that it's a good time to end that relationship? And secondly, like if you're married to someone, is it still a good idea to get a divorce? Yeah. I mean, these are really heavy questions and of course they involve you and they involve another person. And so anyone who's listening, I really recommend that they tread carefully, but the types of things that you could ask yourself. So one is, is there an external factor that's making the relationship challenging right now? For example, do you have little kids at home that are taking all of your time and energy and it's hard to be romantic? Did one of you lose your job and is feeling depressed? Are you taking care of an elderly or sick parent? And so if there's an external factor that's making it harder to show up fully in the relationship, that is something to consider because maybe this is a temporary lapse in the romantic part of the relationship and it'll come back and you can do what people call recalibrate. Basically say, I'm going to lower my expectations for now. And when this situation is over, hopefully things will get better. Another thing I would ask myself is, have I brought the best part of myself to the relationship. Yeah. Excuse me. You can ask yourself, have I brought the best part of myself to the relationship? Are there more things that I can do? And so if you're just sitting there saying, well, I wish they were different and I wish they would change and they haven't done this. Well, have you done that? And so really looking in the mirror and saying, what could I do to invest in this relationship? And similarly, have you brought things to their attention that aren't working? Have you said, Hey, when you talk to my family this way. This is how it makes me feel. Or I really wish we could spend more quality time together. So really giving the relationship a chance and making sure that you've done everything in your part to make sure that you've tried to fix it. And then that wardrobe test question. So really getting clear with yourself, how do I feel in this relationship? And I've identified these two types of people, the hitcher, people that stay in relationships too long, people who are basically like, well, I'm in this and it seems hard to break up, so I'll keep dating. And those people tend to stay in relationships past their expiration date. And then ditchers, people who once the honeymoon period is over, they say, oh, it's not as much fun as it was before I'm out. And so not everyone is a hitcher or a ditcher, but look at your historical tendency and see, do I tend to be one of these? And if so, can you choose a different option? So how do we keep the relationship, I guess, flourishing, I get making dating fun? Yeah. So there's a couple parts of this in terms of making dating fun. One of the biggest issues with modern dating is that dates feel like job interviews. I sit across from you kind of like this and you ask me interview questions. When's the last time you pushed yourself outside your comfort zone? Where do you see yourself in five years? How many kids do you want and why? And it really feels like an exchange of information. It's an investigation. It's an evaluation. It's are you good enough for me? Do you check all the boxes? And what makes dating fun is having a connection saying, Let's talk about things we've never talked about before. I want to learn who you are. I want to be curious about you. I want to hear what you were like as a kid and how that's different from who you are now. I really want to get to know you and have an experience, play and have fun, not sit there and evaluate you. And so part of making dating fun is really getting out of the evaluative mode and really getting into the experiential mode. Yeah. In terms. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that uh, I don't, I'm not good at with uh, small talk. I, I mm -hmm. tend to just veer into the deep questions straight away. <laughs> oh, that's me. But yeah. So I actually teach a class on dating called Date Smarter. And last night we had our flirting seminar and I brought in a friend who's a flirting expert. And we were talking about this concept that I think is nuanced, but super important, which is Yes, you want to have deep conversation on a date and you don't want to do small talk. So you want to avoid things like what did you study in university and why and how many siblings do you have, right? Those are not things that lead to connection. But you also don't want to come with an index card that says, if you could have dinner with five people dead or alive, who would it be? Because that's cheesy and it feels forced. The perfect combination, what you want is, let me ask you some questions to find out who you are. And then when we find a point of connection, I'm going to dig deeper. And so I'm not coming with an index card full of questions, but I'm really getting to know you, asking follow-ups, digging deeper, looking for something to connect on. And so the questions are natural and they're personal. They're not from a list or an index card. 
Yeah, so you've got to, I guess, come prepared in a sense, but then also that's going to come from a natural part of you. Like, I guess you just, you got to feel the moment. <laughs> like yeah. The right kind of questions to ask in this moment. If it's not, then probably not the best time to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, so I would say to you, oh, wow, you have a really trendy haircut. Have you always been into haircuts? And then you might say, actually, growing up, I had a super nerdy haircut, but three years ago, I had a barber who gave me something unusual and now I like it. And then I would say, oh, do you tend to trust barbers? Do you just say, do whatever you want or do you show them a picture? And so it's like I started out with something that I noticed about you. And then from there, I'm digging deeper to get to know you. I'm not just reading from a list. How about if that person isn't necessarily opening up too much, like they're, they're being still extremely closed off and you want to sort of ask them these, I guess, vulnerable questions to get to know them, but they're not really giving anything. Do you keep on trying or do you just move on to the next one? Yeah, it depends on the scenario. If you're at a party and you're asking someone questions and they're not opening up, I would say maybe move on and find someone who's more interested in shocking. But in general, I feel like many people, you can help them open up. And one of the best way to do that is by modeling vulnerability. And so I might say to you, hey, um, great talking to you today, but I'm actually really tired. The last few nights I've been stressed about X, Y, Z in my work life. And it's really been keeping me up at night. What about you? Have you been sleeping well lately? What I did is I shared something personal, something vulnerable. I told you what's really going on with me beneath the surface, and I'm inviting you to share. And you might say something like, I'm so lucky. Genetically, I just sleep super well, and so does everybody in my family. And we might talk about that. Or you might say, I'm also not sleeping well, and here's why. And so I am sharing something about myself to show you what it might look like for you to share. And that makes it feel safe and comfortable and creates a social norm that we're going to have a deeper conversation. Where can people get this book? <laughs> yeah, people can get this book wherever great books are sold. If you like the sound of my voice, you can get the audio version, which I read. If you do not like the sound of my voice, you can get the paperback. And you can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Logan Yuri. And then I am really excited about my class, Date Smarter. And if you are interested in more info, I also have a newsletter that comes out every week. And you can find that on my website, loganyuri.com. Amazing. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find all that. I think it's a much needed book that everyone should read. Uh, I've got three quick final questions for you, Logan, if you don't mind. Uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? What I love the most about myself and my story is that I've really been able to turn my passion into a career. I could not have told you eight years ago how I would make money from doing this, what it would look like, what my title would be. I just said, I am so fascinated by dating and relationships. I want to find a way to pursue this full time. And I feel really proud that I took risks and believed in myself and was able to make it happen. Mm, I love that. What is the current plot that you are in the middle of your life story right now? What's the philosophy for my life story? What is the current plot that you are in the middle of currently in your own life story? Oh, wait, sorry. Pl is the word plot? Plot, yes. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. Well, I would say the biggest question that I'm trying to answer right now in my life is how to spend my time. I'm very good at thinking about the future, my goals, where I want to go. And I have set a lot of ambitious goals that I've been able to achieve. But what I want to really get to is a place where I love how I'm spending my minutes. I love how I'm spending my hours. I love how I'm spending my days. I love how I'm spending my weeks and months, et cetera, because really it's so easy to be seduced by the future and where you want to go. But the present is really how we experience life. And so how do I want to be spending my time? That's good. I like that. Yeah, very reflective, actually. My final question for you, Logan, this is my all-time favorite question that I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you 
of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Yeah, I want that film to say that this is a person who really invested in relationships. And so invested in my romantic relationship with my husband, invested in my relationships with my friends, that I was loyal, that I was kind, that I had integrity, that I showed up for people. And so really, I feel like I was put on earth to be in conversation, to support people, to help people when they need it, to have fun. And so really, I feel like my life is the culmination of the relationships that I invest in. Well, Logan, thank you so much for your time today. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Maybe we can do a part two later on. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Yay, I loved it. You're such a good interviewer, great questions. I talked about a lot of stuff I haven't mentioned in the past. And so it was really fun to be here with you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.